living down here to sure a drain on my patience. I'm only the hypothalamus. I only monitor all the automatic functions of the body. All the things you don't need to worry about. I'm used to being taken for granted. Blink, blink, breathe, breathe. Day in, day out. Never a thank you, never a job well done. Hey, time to play that exciting new game show, You Bet Your Hook! Hello again, everyone. We'll be getting underway momentarily. Bravo 229er, are you ready to initiate launch? That is affirmative control. All systems go. W my friend and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 585, and I'm here not only to help you have the best possible vacation experience when you go to the parks, but I also really want to bring you some of that Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, my live video broadcast every Wednesday on Facebook blog, videos, special events, and more. Whether it's your first time visiting or you've been hundreds of times, if you're planning a vacation or love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you because each week I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. If you're a new listener, thank you. Welcome. Please go back, check out some or all the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and find everything else at www.radio.com. So this week, I'm joined by former Walt Disney World Vice President Dan Cockrell, who, in his nearly two decades with the Disney Company, was Vice President of Epcot, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and Magic Kingdom. Dan joins me again this week to discuss the Walt Disney World that never was and shares stories of attractions that never quite made it into the parks. From Blue Sky Concepts to original plans for what the Star Wars presence in the parks was going to be, and what may be coming from Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary, Dan recounts his first-hand experiences and personal stories from the parks and behind the scenes. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. I'll also tell you how and where you can join me every day for some daily Disney trivia. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for more information, updates, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, Relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. The cockerel name and really legacy is one that reflects not only exceptional leadership and management skills, but a work ethic, philosophy, and and positive attitude that I think would make Walt Disney very proud. And Dan Cockerell did not follow in his father Lee's footsteps in Disney, but instead forged his own path, established his own style and tradition of serving, teaching, learning and leading. And I've known Dan for more than 10 years since first getting to know him during one of his many tenures as as VPs on various uh, Walt Disney World theme parks. Dan joined me back on show 521 in May 2018, just after he retired from Walt Disney World. And since then, he has continued to share his wealth of knowledge and 
decades of experiences with corporations, individuals, readers, and listeners. And today, Dan joins me once again to share some untold stories from the Disney parks, including some dreams that maybe never became reality, some personal stories, and much more. Dan, welcome back. It's good to see you again. Man, Lou, that's the best introduction I've had in a long time. I'm feeling good about things. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you again. Um, you know, unfortunately, we are recording from a distance. Um, times are are very different now. But you know, we've been we've been chatting um, recently about uh, not just the current state of the parks and the future state of the parks, but um, you know, in all the years that you spent with the company from college program in 89 to, you know, manager operations of, of resorts and Epcot, Hollywood Studios and Magic Kingdom. We do all we did have a chance to chat on the the first show that we did. I, you, we were sort of alluding to so many more untold stories that you didn't share there um, and maybe ones that we've never heard about um, in terms of things that you saw, uh, things that were starting to come down the pipeline and uh, some dreams that never became reality. Yeah. Well, this, you know, I, I know I'm getting old when I say, you know, back in my day, this is what really happened. But um, I, I love to talk about some of those things because there are, having been there for a long time, um, there are some things that never came to pass. And I got some personal stories also. I was thinking this morning about some of the things that may be fun uh, for your community uh, to listen to. And uh, I think, you know, a couple of them, um, you know, I, I, as you know, I'd spent some time at uh, Disneyland Paris, uh, opened the park back in April of 1992. I got over there in January and I was the, uh, I ruled the parking lot. <laughs> that was my kingdom at the time <laughs> I had the parking lot and um, had some great, great experiences when I, this, the five years I spent over there. And when we opened, um, Tomorrowland, we opened Space Mountain, actually, in 1994. So about two years after the park had opened, um, uh, Space Mountain, which is a whole different ride system, it's an awesome attraction, was opening. And it it happened to coincide with the 25th anniversary of the moon landing. And uh, Neil Armstrong, I think he's passed since, but at the time, he was always uh, not, he didn't get out in public very much. Uh, but Buzz Aldrin, the second man on the moon, was certainly the one that sort of was the face of the, the space program for the 25th anniversary. So he was kind of doing a world tour and giving speeches and talking to people about the experience of being there. And at the time, I was working in guest relations as a, a frontline manager. And so they approached me and they said, hey, for the, for the press event, we're going to have all these people here. And Dan, we want you to be the we want you to be with Buzz Aldrin and his family for the week and make sure he gets to all his uh, events on time and take care of whatever he needs to do. So that was such an awesome experience spending time with him. And these guys are just amazing. I mean, they're just down to earth, very low key. Um, ironically, Buzz Aldrin's uh, son is a uh, rocket engineer. <laughs> so it doesn't go far <laughs> from the family. Uh, but I, you know, I got to drive home every night and just if the moon was out, I'm like, I spent the whole day with the guy who was up there and I don't know, just, Talking to people personally, it's it's kind of a big deal. It was pretty cool. But, yeah, I, mean, um, I, I have to imagine, you know, we we talk about as Disney fans, people that we get to meet and and that impact us. And then you and your roles had to have met so many celebrities like that. And, you know, as you're telling the story about Buzz Aldrin, I'm like, you know, what do you ask him? Like, what do you ask a guy? You know, what do you ask a guy that's been one of the very few people 
ever in history to step foot on the moon. Yeah, well, my, you know, I'm, I knew most of the celebrities, they get so much attention all the time. I always liked at Disney, since we're representing the company, I always like to be the, the, the person who is there to just offer them warm hospitality and not put them on the spot and just let them be who they were and not feel like they had to be on. And so um, we had some great conversations during the week and he offered up um, some of his, uh, some thoughts. And he said it was, you know, it was um, for many, many of the astronauts, it was extremely difficult after they came back from the moon, just psychologically, you know, they, back then they didn't do, they didn't understand post-traumatic syndrome or really have a, a beat on that. And all these astronauts, you know, going to another planet is a big deal, you know, or I guess you're going to the moon, but leaving earth and going. And I think they, um, a lot of them um, became very spiritual because they just really realized how big the universe was doing that. And um, a lot of them, you know, talk about peaking early. I mean, a lot of these guys were in their twenties when they did this. And so it's like, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm the guy who went to the moon. But he, uh, Buzz Aldrin was, he was fascinated with the future and he has been, uh, he's worked with companies on low orbital um, flights to commercialize that. And I haven't heard in a while about what's going on with that, but he was always on the forefront of uh, supporting space exploration and kept up with that and had a very active life. Um, And so we didn't get a lot into what was it like, but one of the questions I did hear a reporter ask him was, okay, you, you rode space mountain and you've uh, been blasted on a rocket to the moon. Uh, how are they? How are those two flights different? <laughs> and he said, um, he said actually the uh, the 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 flight um, we took off the moon was much smoother than Space Mountain. That was had a lot of G's in it. So I don't know if he was joking or not, but he thought that Space Mountain was pretty scary. You know, I wasn't I wasn't even thinking about this until we started talking about it. But again, over your career at Disney, you had to have encountered so many people that you know, use the the term celebrity. Was there anybody that you met just on a personal level that was really just a thrill, somebody whose work you admired or were just from a, almost like a fan perspective, you were excited to meet? Yeah. I mean, like you said, you ran into a lot of celebrities, a lot of them, it was all business and a few you got to chat with. Um, I, uh, I only chatted for a moment with her, but, um, uh, when I was uh, one evening, I was the uh, duty manager at Epcot. Um, I used to pull a, you know, we always have a duty manager there at all the parks and they're kind of the person in control. They handle emergencies. They handle, they're the face of leadership and management. And when I was the vice president at Epcot, I would pull a duty manager shift once a month because I thought it was just great to be out there walking and talking and see what was going on and remembering how um, you know, we handle emergency services and that kind of thing. And I went over to, uh, we have a VIP viewing area over by the United Kingdom Pavilion for the uh, Illumination show. And I went over one evening and it was um, uh, Mary Lou Retton was there with her family. And for those of you who are um, much younger, Mary Lou Retton was back, I think it was, was it the 1984 Olympics. She had won the gold medal in gymnastics. And I had met her um, at, after when she was in DC, I lived in, um, in, in Maryland and we had met and I'd gotten her autograph at an event. And then, you know, then that was 84. And now it was, I don't know, 2009. And she was there with her kids. And I got to just say hi to her and say, hey, I, you know, I met you in Washington right after 
you won the gold medal. And she goes, Oh my gosh. And she was so friendly and humble and nice. And that was, that was a pretty cool thing. You know, these people are bigger than life always, but when you're, you know, back in 84, she was a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know, you mentioned your time. And I think when I first met you, you were, um, you were either operations manager or, or maybe at the time you were a vice president probably of, of Epcot. Um, and I, you know, you were VP of Epcot of Disney's Hollywood studios and then, uh, over at magic kingdom. And I have to imagine that during that time, there were always a lot of discussions, plans, conversations about what was coming next, whether it was the next show, the next attraction, the next pavilion, were there any stories that, you're able to share about some of those things that may have started, you know, beyond just blue sky ideas to become reality in the parks that never quite made it in. Sure. Yeah. I have a few, some of them are big and some are smaller, but um, we had a, we had a whole group called yellow shoes at Disney and they're sort of our internal creative group. And they have people there who are professional brainstormers. Uh, and I would engage them pretty regularly to sit down and we would pull in a group of managers and executives and we would spend half a day brainstorming what we could do in the future. And, uh, you know, a lot of ideas come out of Imagineering, obviously, but uh, no one, as I always like to tell people, no one has the market or monopoly on creativity. So we would get uh, a bunch of group together and spend, and we would walk out of those sessions with 20, 25 ideas that we could think about implementing and then we had to go decide if that's what we wanted to go after. So one of the ones that um, that I thought I, I wish we had done this, uh, but we never got we never got it off the ground. I don't know if you remember back, and this was back in you know 09, 2010, uh, Farmville was such a big deal. It was a video game where you had to tend a farm. It was like one of the early simulation games, and you had to go on your well. I don't I don't. I guess you went on your phone or your computer and you had to water the crops and plant the seeds and build a barn and you had animals and um, you could build up your farm. So during this brainstorming session, we brainstormed, we came up with an idea. We said, what if one year the flower and garden festival had an overlay of Farmville? And so we would have um, scenes from the game um, if you came to the park, you could get uh, the uh, virtual items, the, the digital items. You could get the, the tractor and all the things that were really, you know, um, really hard to get. And then the, the the biggest thing we would do at the land pavilion, I said, what if we entered all the, the people with a, a contest and we would judge them and the person who had the coolest farm online, we would recreate that in the land pavilion. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, they could come see the actual farm in its three, three dimensional uh, form. So anyway, I was always excited about that. And we never, we never got around to it. We never got it off the ground and Farmville is uh, a distant memory. Now um, the um, I, I think probably where most of the, the, the stories I had was it when I was over at uh, Hollywood studios, you know, the studios, all the parks get updated sort of in a, in a cycle. Uh, Animal kingdom was always considered not a half day park, but they were, you know, they needed some, some love. And so that's where uh, Pandora and um, came from. And it's really rounded out the experience in the park. And obviously new fantasy land at magic kingdom was the big ad. Um, and Epcot um, is now up as it's getting its new, its new makeover. But at the time the studios was really what's next for studios. Uh, we only had two attractions that were, we consider family attractions. 
uh, Toy Story, Midway Mania, and The Great Movie Ride. And as we knew, a lot of little kids really didn't know who John Wayne was and really didn't care about John Wayne or Humphrey Bogart or all these movies. So we, uh, we were constantly working with the Imagineering team on what's next, what will be the next big thing. Uh, we had some great partners out in Glendale, and we would meet and talk regularly. And they would talk about concepts. We would talk about what demographics we needed to go after to improve the overall experience for guests. And um, uh, one of those that came out early in the, the, the uh, when I was there was you know Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars, uh, we had just purchased um, Lucas Films, and it started to become the the talk about okay if we're going to bring that to life where are we going to do that and studios ended up being the place because that's where uh, a it, it seemed to, to fit the best and it was the park that needed an update the most and and to replace some of the experiences so we worked on that project for a couple of years um, they were artists they were we were, we we're looking at layouts of the the park. Um, you just get a big aerial view and you get a big magic marker and you start saying, what if this was here or what if that was there? And you start blocking off these big chunks of space and, you know, that kind of drills all the way down and you keep going until you get to the attraction level and what the offerings are. And so we did it for a couple of years and um, we had, you know, the Epic theater, the um, Indiana Jones theater, that was going to be like the heart of the, the Star Wars land um, that was going to go away and we were going to plug it right in there. Uh, the Moe's Isley Cantina was going to be right across the, from Star Tours. And we had all kinds of great concepts with that. And we had gotten way down the path um, on art drawings and we hadn't gone into architectural drawings or anything. And then we got a call one day and uh, they said, well, we got some news for you all. And the Imagineering guys, they've, they've heard this line many, many times during their career. And I, I had never been through this. They said, well, yesterday, Bob Iger met with Kathleen Kennedy, who has uh, a lot of people may know was sort of um, George Lucas's protege and, and headed up Lucas Films. And they had a, they had a conversation at a meeting. And uh, Kathleen Kennedy, uh, her point of view was, there are way more Disney store or Star Wars stories ahead of us than behind us. So we really should think about, um, or do we want to build a Tatooine and build what all the 50-somethings remember Star Wars is? Or do we want to build something else which is going to appeal to all the upcoming generations who are going to know the new stories? And uh, that day, uh, the, the Tatooine was killed at the, at the studios. <laughs> and all those concepts were put on a shelf. And I'm sure they're sitting in a vault. And I'm sure they're going to be shown someday about what that land would have looked like and what the attractions were going to be. And, um, and the, the Imagineering team, we got off the phone and I said, can you guys believe this? And they said, this is terrible. We've been working on this. I said, well, what's next? They said, well, we're going to get on a call tomorrow and start over. I said, that's it. They go, look, go out tonight, go have a few beers, cry in your drink, come back tomorrow. And we're starting again. And they had been wow. through this before. They know that until it's signed and until you start breaking ground, none of these projects are guaranteed. And they came back the next day, just like they were as just excited as they were two years earlier. I was really impressed by their optimism and they dug into it. And that's what uh, you see today. Uh, you know, they, we, they kept talking about where, where these need to go. When you put the lands in, how do they connect to other lands? How do you have enough space um, from backstage to, to supply them? So there's a lot that goes into this and it start, restarted that project. 
Um, well, and they, and they say that no good idea ever dies at Imagineering, right? They're not thrown away. They're put up on a shelf. And then sometimes in places like Epcot and Studios and Magic Kingdom, those ideas are dusted off and brought out. I, I assume that you've been to Galaxy's Edge as you walk through. Do you see or feel sort of any inspiration from some of those early conversations or designs that now made their way into Galaxy's Edge? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it is interesting. You could say that um, the way Galaxy's Edge was designed, and I'm not sure how much you've covered this on your show, but it really wanted to be um, just a planet that existed in the Star Wars universe, but didn't have too much story associated with it so that it could be a place where all the characters could visit. You know, this is a pretty important uh, approach that Imagineering takes is you don't want to build something and get it, have it become outdated. Uh, um, eventually or too quickly. And you could, you could argue that that was something that we struggled with at uh, Tomorrowland um, at um, Magic Kingdom. And it was kind of supposed to be a tomorrow that never happened, a future that never happened. Um, and also Interventions was really challenging because Interventions was supposed to be showcasing the latest technology and the latest products. But the world accelerated so quickly you know, it's really hard to keep up with something like that on a permanent display. So when you when I walk through uh, Galaxy's Edge, uh, I'm certainly picking up. There's a lot of remnants, and as people look at it, you can see uh, some of Tatooine there and some of the kind of what that feel was. But obviously, you've added the green, green other green areas and and that. But it's uh, it was designed to be timeless, the same way that um, is is uh, supposed to be timeless. You know that the whole storyline there is. The, the, the land is exists 60 years after the last movie. Mm. You know, there's still four movies coming out as far as I know, um, uh, follow-ups to, um, to that movie and, uh, it's going really into avatar. And so they wanted to make sure whatever happens in those movies, it's that land is still going to be relevant and they're not going to be missing anything. And so if you, if you build the land way after the story ends, you can always plug back things, back things in, make them look old and it all works. Well, and I applaud Kathleen Kennedy, you know, who's not, look, it, it's very hard, you know, being in the positions that they're in, you know, d- making decisions about something that goes beyond a movie franchise. It's just part of our zeitgeist. It's something people have such emotional attachments to for her to have that, that long-term vision of not saying, yeah, let's just build something now that we know we can capitalize on, but to think forward for not just the fans today, but the fans that were going to be coming up behind us. I really sort of give a lot of credit to that, especially, you know, since that plane had been in flight, relatively speaking, for so long in terms of concept and design. Yeah, those are bold. They're bold decisions to make. Um, even, you know, Tom Staggs, our former chairman of Parks, um, you know, the decision was made pretty late in the process in New Fantasyland to add the, the uh, Seven Doors Mine Coaster. And that had always going to that was always going to be a more um, female-driven theme, and I think someone realized way past the time that you can make the decision and that the engineering had been done that you know what there's too much girl in this land. There's not enough for boys or appeal to families, and they made that decision way late in the process. That's why it opened so late because mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't the attraction that originally was going to go in. But I think that you know some of the executives who are able, it, it's very, it costs a lot of time and a lot of money to make those decisions. But I think it's a smart way to your point um, for people to think about the long game uh, that doesn't happen as much in business today. And I think to think beyond the fiscal year or the, 
a couple of years to come is not a, a thing companies always do, but the ones who are successful are able to think way down the road. And I think it was a great decision. And be willing, like you said, to pivot, even though we had already seen sort of concept art for what new fantasy land was going to be, to be able to, you know, change that. And like you said, you make a very sort of strong choice. And, and I think too, Dan, it goes to the fact of something I've been saying for years that Disney really does pay attention to not just the guest responses to surveys, but just sort of the the tone of the guest experience and even internally being self-aware enough to say, hey, we need something that's specifically going to appeal to boys because we don't have it here. Yeah, absolutely. It's it is a um, it is an incredible team effort with so many experts weighing in when we design these products to make sure that we thread the needle and think about all the value and all the relevancy and the outcomes and the storylines. And um, it's complicated and, you know, Disney don't always get it right, but often we you know land the plane because we're listening to what the consumers want. Um, I had one more, one more uh, story for you, which I think this is something I've um, um, actually shared in my book. Um, and it was regarding you know, at the parks and a lot of companies do this. You do an assessment every year. Uh, you do an assessment of your company. Uh, a lot of people do SWOT um, um, exercises. What are your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats? And they fill that out to help inform their strategy. And uh, we do the same at, at Disney. We, uh, every year we do a needs assessment and we look at and we, we weigh in with marketing, finance, food and beverage, merchandise, industrial engineering, uh, consumer research, operations, and we, we, we get everyone to contribute and say, okay, what does this park need? What will make this park better? And what needs to be um, uh, shored up in terms of what we're not delivering today? And so, um, you know, for, for when I got to studios, it was clear we need more family attractions. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the only two family attractions we had were Toy Story Mania and uh, Great Movie Ride. Everything else was either a show which are fine, but tractions are you know a big deal. Or it was a thrill ride, uh, rock and roller coaster, Tower of Terror, Star Tours, um, and so you know younger younger kids couldn't do it with their with their families. So that was our big the the big rallying cry was we need more family attractions at the studios. And so what that did was, and we got a call one day, and it was the Imagineering team, and they said, hey, we were just in a meeting with John Lasseter. And we got this great concept for a Doors coaster. It's going to be like a roller coaster themed after Monsters, Inc. And it's going to be the factory where they make all the doors that the monsters go through to scare the kids to generate the electricity from Metropolis by getting them to scream. And it's going to be fantastic. And we wanted just to let you know that's what we're working on. And, you know, usually in a lot of companies, there's a lot of hierarchy. And usually a vice president running a theme park you know, doesn't say, well, no, that's not what we should be doing. But the fact that we had a, uh, a plan in place, we'd all weighed in with this strategy. I was able to tell the team, hey, guys, I love that concept and I love that idea and I'll be the first one to ride it. But I want to tell you, that's not what we need in studios right now. We don't need another coaster right now. We need family attractions. Mm -hmm. So what's the height requirement? Of course, a coaster, they're, they're taller height requirements. So um, 
They said, well, you don't understand. This is a, this is coming from the top. I said, I know, but the top also said that we needed to have a good strategic plan so we can deliver to our guests what they want. And, um, it, they went back and eventually they, they dropped it and we ended up going in a different direction. And once, so I think that's also not only in companies, I, I think you need very creative people who are really strong in what they believe in, but you have to have a good business sense, a good strategy. And I was really, um, so glad that we stayed with that plan and we were able to back away from it and build something that was going to be more appealing. And so now the great movie ride, you know, has a whole new attraction in it. We doubled up on toy story mania and you have star Wars and, you know, I know there's a lot more in the pipeline. So that uh, knowing what you want and not veering off those guiding principles, a lot of times is very healthy for a company and it, 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 it stops you from leading you down the wrong path because you're excited about an individual project. Yeah, look, I mean, Star Tours almost never came to be. I mean, where Star Tours is, Disney was originally planning a black hole attraction. Um, it was going to be like a $50, 55000000 million attraction. And, and again, that that had sort of started to go down the, the design phase pretty deeply. And then they realized, look, this film is not doing as well as we wish we would have liked it. I think Lou Mangiello is the only guy that's seen it more than once. So maybe yeah. something on... Star Wars obviously made so much more sense. But to your point about this idea of having family-friendly attractions, that was a theme that was coming up over and over again, right? There was a a plan for Mickey's Movie Land, um, sort of a a replica of the Hyperion Avenue studio back in the mid to late 80s, Muppet Studios and the Great Muppet Movie Ride and the Swedish Chef Video Cooking School and uh, the Pandemonium Pizza Parlor were all things that were considered just like Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit was going to be have his own land at the end of uh, Sunset Boulevard um, in, in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, that's right. Things, uh, it's, uh, it's to your point, it's so interesting. And when you have this creativity, just the, all the what could have beens and what should have beens. And I, I'm really always very, uh, I, I'm a kind of a history nut now. And I look up those things, you know, um, originally Mount Rushmore was going to be the full bodies of the presidents. They ended up doing just the busts. And when you look at the, art, the artistic process, it just starts literally with a sketch on a piece of paper and it works up from there. That's where these ideas come from. And they, they're changed multiple times. And the funny thing is, once they're done, you can't imagine them being any different than they were. But uh, it's coming out of someone's someone's mind. Well, I know. To, so switching gears a little bit to, uh, and I'm always going to call it Epcot Center. Um, you were you were vice president of Epcot Center for a number of years. Every year, without fail, uh, we all hear the rumors about the next. World Showcase Pavilion that they're breaking ground next week and it's coming and we're waiting for the next announcement for Peru, Brazil, whatever it might be. When you were there, was that ever part of the rumor, the discussion, the, the you know, blue sky face planning? Yeah, you know, I think that may have been a rumor there when I was parking cars <laughs> in 1991. <laughs> and, you know, the rumors are there for a reason. There's some truth behind them and logically it makes sense. Uh South America is not represented in uh, the further south, further south you go is Mexico. You don't go any further south. So there, there does seem to be an opportunity there. Um, as we said, we don't need another Northern European country. We're, we're all, we're all full <laughs> up on those. So um, that would make a lot of sense. And I think, you know, like, like everything, it has to make sense financially. 
it has to um, add value. It, it, you can't just do it because you just need something else there. It has to be something that's going to complement uh, the rest of the, the park and really add more value. And uh, I, I think over time, um, the, just all the dots have not been connected. I think sometimes the money's been there or sometimes the partner has been there or sometimes the concept's been there, but I don't think the, the stars have quite aligned yet because you're always, one of the big things I think that I learned was a huge part of my job and, and for even for any company, but the Walt Disney company is anytime you're building anything, you are competing for funds from the whole company. You're competing with uh, new movies funding. You're competing with new crew ships being built. You're competing with every project the company has. Um, you know, you are in the park side are competing for that. And so it has to be a brilliant, very well thought out, well-timed decision. And uh, that just hasn't landed yet, but it makes sense to me. I, I, you know, one day, hopefully one day I'll, maybe I'll bring my grandkids to some new pavilion there some year. <laughs> Um, but it's, uh, you know, they're, they're expensive. And once again, you want to make sure that they are a reason to visit and not just uh, an add on. And that was the part of the problem with the, the, the phase two when Epcot first opened of Africa, Israel and Spain, which were announced, but they they never could sort of get the twain to meet in terms of the politics and the economics and everything like that. So if you were back in Epcot, Dan, and imagining came to you and said, look, You've got the space. We've got the time. We've got a few hundred million dollars laying around. If you could build any country in Epcot, assuming politics and money aside, which would it be and why? Yeah, well, I hate to not be creative, but um, Brazil sounds pretty darn great. (laughs) Um, You know, you're bringing in, um, uh, you know, the Portuguese language, which is, uh, you know, there's so many uh, um, tourists who come from Brazil to Walt Disney World. And I think the idea, the pride to see their country represented, uh, and it's such a huge country. And on top of that, the culture there, um, I've been down there a couple times over the past couple of years doing speeches and some uh, leadership workshops. And that culture is just high energy, optimistic. They, they're really into improving things. And I think they would be, they, they align very well with Disney. And uh, I would love to see them there. And then you think about all the, you know, Carnival and all the things you could do and the great food they have. Um, so it's um, that, that seems to make sense to me. Look, you said Brazil and went right to cheese bread and caipirinhas. So I was behind you 100 percent. Oh, the cheese bread, the pan do queijo. <laughs> when I went down there, they'd have it sometimes as like an appetizer. I'm like, all right you need to take this away because I'm going to eat all of them. (laughs) So So what about an Epcot? I mean, I I know that during your time there, I had to, I have to assume there had to have been some blue sky discussions. You know, for years we had heard about rumors of the the bullet train ride that was supposed to be in Japan, uh, a bobsled ride, uh, a time racers, a Ryan river cruise, any of those or any other ones ever, you know, were part of the conversation. Yeah, well, we were always looking, and obviously the, they've pulled the trigger on building some things. Time, uh, space is pretty confined back there, so that's always something you have to worry about is can I fit a big box in here to build something? And I think when you look at Epcot, my opinion is uh, what works really, really well at Epcot is World Showcase. It is just, it's, I mean, you've seen the Food and Wine Festival. It's been extended out multiple times. The Flower and Garden Festival now with all the food they offer. Um, as far as I'm concerned, World Showcase is the heart and soul of Epcot. 
And um, not coincidentally, my wife worked on the fellowship program, the French Pavilion, so she's pretty close to it too. But um, I think, you know, the um, future world, that's where uh, when it was originally designed, it was, um, it was designed to be very uh, industrial. And a lot of those, you know, pavilions are uh, self-contained pavilions. And it's really hard to create a community atmosphere in future world just by the architecture. And that was the original design intent. But I think it needs to be connected even more. There has to be more excitement and more to do there. Uh, World Showcase can always be improved. Um, but I think if you're looking up in the front of the park, that's where you need to be doing things. And uh, obviously, you know, a lot of the things that have uh, been talked about are coming to life. You have um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you know, Test Track. Open, I opened Test Track when I was an operations manager there. Um, I think there's, uh, there's been five or six concepts for the Odyssey um, right between those. And that's such a great location. And I think there's someday maybe you'll see something happen there because it's just a great view, great location. You can do a lot of really neat things there. Um, the, uh, I, I, you may have talked about this before, but the, uh, the, at the Japanese pavilion, uh, there is a huge box behind the Japanese pavilion that is uh, maintenance keeps most of their things. And that was originally supposed to be a coaster ride that never came to life. So there's a big box there that could be leveraged for that. Um, but uh, yeah, we we talked about some uh, concepts in Future World early on, and I think that that started to um, change as we got more of the IP. Guardians of the Galaxy came out. I think some people said, "All right, there's relevancy there. People understand Guardians of the Galaxy. We can tell a great story, and we need something different. So let's go after that." And looking at the the wholesale changes that already have been announced in terms, of, specifically in Future World, with this. Um, th this idea of having neighborhoods of discovery and celebration and nature, looking at it, looking at future plans and looking back to when you were there, what do you think about the, the sort of, it's not a change in a direction, but I think Disney it, itself is, is looking back while it's also looking forward. Yeah. I love that concept. Uh, and I, you know, every time we change something, there was a letter writing campaign of people loved it. People didn't love it. And you know, that was a blessing to us because people who care about what we're doing, that was always great. It wasn't always easy to manage, but it was always something we thanked ourselves that people were so interested in what we were doing. And uh, you know, Walt Disney, he said many times, I know people talk now, what would Walt say? He'd roll over his grave on that. I can't believe they did that. Walt changed things all the time. Mm. And he said, you know, these places are not museums. They're meant to be living uh uh, places and things have to keep changing and creativity has to keep going. And I think, unfortunately, when people die, everyone wants everything to stop and be like exactly like it was. And the idea that you want to create this, this new, not the nuisance, because, you know, future world's always been about connecting the world and talking about the, how to make the world a better place. And um, I think that story has to keep evolving. And hopefully if people can start thinking about nature and that can become more of the conversation um, I absolutely think think it's the right place to go. And it has to be, not just because I think it's a great place to go, but the next generation coming up, that's what they want to be talking about. And that's what they want to be supporting. And we can always go back and say, what should Disney do or what would Walt want? That doesn't have anything to do with it. It's what do the consumers want. Who are the people who are visiting us and what do they believe in? And if we can tell the stories about the things they're passionate about, Disney's always going to be successful. It's the day that you start doing what you think you should do. And, and if people don't like it, that's too bad for them. That's not how a successful business runs. Right. Well, the people that, that continue 
you know, 30, 40 years later to complain about horizons going away. Forget that horizon, like there were no lines for horizons, right? It's the ex-girlfriend effect. Like you don't miss something until it's gone. That's how they felt about, you know, horizons and, and Mr. Toad when they close. But you're right. You do have to always, you know, be be looking forward as opposed to looking behind you. Um, yeah. You reminded me something, Lou, of uh, just that idea of what what do what does Disney want versus what do people want. I was there at the Magic Kingdom a couple of years ago for the first time. We had a Halloween party um, in August, and I know it's even earlier now. But <laughs> at the time, I remember I was in a room with a bunch of people. A bunch of people said, "Are you crazy? You're starting yeah. the, the Halloween party is August 31st. People are going to ridicule us, and they're going to say this is ridiculous. You're taking advantage of this holiday and." You're, you're literally two months before it's still summer. And I said, look, if you weren't willing to take the risk, people are going to vote with their dollars. They're going to vote with that. And we'll find out. And we put it out there and I think it sold out. I was gone by yeah. the time the first one did. I think it sold out. And people wrote us letters and said, thank you so much for opening up Halloween earlier. Usually our kids have to be back in school up in the Northeast. And now we're going to get to visit it and do it. And, um, and, uh, if, if Disney can do a two-year, one-year anniversary celebration, we can certainly start Halloween a little bit early also. And uh, people enjoyed it. The only operational thing we had to make sure was the chocolate didn't melt. It's still like, you know, <laughs> 85, 90 degrees. But that idea is we are not here for ourselves. We are here for our guests. And they will tell us what they like. and They'll tell us what they don't like. And we'll take cues off of that. But we always have to be serving them. Yeah, and I mean, you as a, as, as a whole, of the, as a company, have always – paid close attention to what guest satisfiers are like because like you said what might make sense on a drawing board or in a conference room might not make sense necessarily upon execution right right so all right shifting gears to magic kingdom again you were there during the last three years of your tenure at walt disney world until 2018 and i know it probably it look it seems far away now. Obviously, it was farther away then. But the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, which really is sort of the, the 50th anniversary of Magic Kingdom, is coming in 2021. Were there conversations already happening in terms of what that potential monumental anniversary was going to look like? Yes, there were, there was early conversations, nothing concrete, but the, the first conversations were what what is this celebration all about? Uh, is it is it looking back and celebrating the past? Is it going to celebrate today and what we we achieved, or is it going to be looking forward to what you know this idea you always hear Walt say we're just getting started? And um, from what the early indications, obviously that's uh, I left a couple of years ago, so I don't know which direction they're going to go. But I think the thinking was first of all, it's going to be the Walt Disney World. It's going to be celebrated at Walt Disney World. The Magic Kingdom happens to be the first park that opens, but this is celebrating the whole site. And we'll have some special things at Magic Kingdom, but we're going to have special things everywhere and make sure everyone gets an opportunity to celebrate the whole project that opened in 1971 and everything that's been done since then. But even more importantly, we're just getting started. And what's the future look like? And what are all the things that are going to be happening in the future? And let's get excited about that also. So those were some of the conceptual things that came out of this. Um, and then obviously um, you know, everything's ramping up. There's not a, a, you know, Tron hopefully will be open by the time the, the 50th rolls around and uh, uh, you know, all the new hotels going up and uh, with galaxy's edge now, and I'm sure there's going to be other announcements of things to come. 
um, even in this time, you know, that place has to keep growing. There has to be new news. And, um, but I think it's going to be a pretty emotional event. You know, there's think about how many people who are 50 now and how many times they've been to Walt Disney world. And now that they have kids, they've been there and some of the grandkids have been there and all the memories. And I think we're really going to tap into that emotional piece of, you know, remember how it was when you were that age, but now I'll look forward to bringing generations to come. Yeah. And I have to assume looking at, you know, what Disneyland did for their 50th and their 60th and even Disneyland Paris for their 25th, you know, again, tapping into the sentiments and the emotions and the, the nostalgia of those that were there from the very beginning while still also making it timely and relevant and exciting for the generation behind them as well. Yeah, definitely. We, we, in fact, when I was there, we were calling all the other sites and asking them to send us their, their, their strategy deck on how they did the 50th, how they did the 60th for Disneyland Paris, how they did the 20th. So we could take all those best practices. We're, we're really big on not always reinventing the wheel. Let's take stuff we know worked and let's re-implement that to people and we'll get the same results. And look, Disney's Hollywood Studios has had its major expansion. Epcot Center is going through its incredible transformation. Again, bringing you back to Magic Kingdom, just even from a personal level. If, again, Imagineering comes to you and said, Dan, we just love what you've been doing with the Brazil Pavilion. You're clearly knocking out of the park. What, if anything would you consider adding to Magic Kingdom, whether it would be um, an IP, an attraction, um, something that, or even additions or changes to one of the lands in that park? Yeah, well, I don't think it's any secret that when you get back to Frontierland and back in that Splash Mountain area and uh, the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, uh, it, it gets pretty crowded back there. And I think um, if you think about um, Tom Sawyer's Island, uh, it's a, you know, it's an oldie, but a goodie, but very relative to the overall park attendance, very people, very few people actually get over to the Island and very few people see the value of the Island. And um, so I would say, if you look at, if you look at an aerial shot of magic kingdom and you just start to circle, what are the, some big areas that you could do some really cool things in that clearly is a, an area you could plug something in. And when it comes to the Wild West or it comes to that Frontierland theme or that Adventureland theme, there's some pretty neat, you know, th that's a pretty open slate to do some pretty fun, creative, adventurous stuff. Hmm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you had to make that place bigger uh, going there. Because once again, all you have to do is look at a Google map today and, and look at and say, OK, what's available? What's out there? Um, I, I saw actually saw a story recently in the Sentinel that uh, Disney had purchased some property to um, that side um, towards, uh, I guess, to a little bit to the north, which would be behind uh, Frontierland. And there's some property across mm -hmm. the road there. Um, and clearly, if you were going to expand, that's, uh, that's open. Everywhere else is taken, right? You got a lagoon on one <laughs> side, you got the Grand Floridian on the other side, the contemporary on the other side. So, you know, there's only one place you can go unless you're going up or down. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, with 47 square miles, there, there's always there's always room to expand. Look, we could even see it with just with the number of uh, new resorts that are are being built. Um, yeah. Do you have a do you have a favorite of any of the new resorts that have been built or even been announced? Well, you know, obviously, I think uh, the new Star Wars hotel is going to be something that's going to be just incredibly creative. And that's going to be a, probably the new thing on people's bucket list of a, what would be a dream vacation, at least to do something once. Um, I, uh, 
No, besides that, I've uh, I haven't been over to the new. Is it the the Royale? The at uh, Riviera. Yeah, Riviera. There you go. Um, I've heard some really good things about that, but I haven't I haven't been over there yet. So hopefully I'll get over there sometime and check it out. And that's what I was wondering if that sort of had touched to your connection to uh, to France in terms of yeah. Well, you know what we'll have to, we'll have to go over. We'll have to eat at uh, at Topolino's Terrace one one night. Uh, hey, I'm the, all in for that. The resort is beautiful and the, the food is fantastic. So, all right. So just for fun, one last question. Again, Dan, you're c- continuing to, to kill it. And Disney says, look, just from a personal perspective, what property, what movie, what character would you love to bring into the parks, whether it be for an attraction, a themed restaurant, a resort, whatever it might a themed restroom, whatever it might be? Wow, that's a good question. So, you know, people have asked me for what's your favorite, what would your favorite attraction or favorite movie? And I, I hate to commit to one. I always say, look, I'll give you a top five. And they all sort of interchange with each other. There's never, they, there's, the number ones uh, kind of move around. But I would love to see, um, if anyone remembers uh, Dream Flight. Mm-hmm. It used to be the attraction where Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger Spin is now. And uh, you could take, uh, it was the Omnimover, same ride system, and you could ride through it and kind of see the history of aviation. And uh, there was a scene there where you go through a cabin, uh, a mock-up of a cabin in an airplane in like the 1940s. And there was fine linen on the table and um, just just beautiful restaurant in these planes. That's how they used to fly. And when you used to fly, you used to put a dress on or you put a coat and tie. I mean, it was a much different age. And um, I just thought it would be really neat um, if in that area you could build a, a restaurant after Dream Flight and kind of take people back in time. This is how people used to fly. This is how it used to be. And then with the technology today, you know, with the, the magical windows, you could take a flight somewhere and you could fly somewhere and, and go. So it's kind of going, it's, it's reaching back into the past. But uh, maybe I'm a little sentimental about those things, but I think that would be fun. That's I think a lot of times people love going back to think that, that the past and reliving that. No, I totally dig that. And now I have the Delta Dream Flight song playing in my head and the Orson Welles narration uh, in the queue. And, and I loved If You Had Wings when I was a kid. My dad and I yeah. would ride it over and over again, not just because you didn't need a ticket for it, but just because we loved <laughs> the attraction. Um so, Dan, I appreciate you so very much. Um, obviously, you, like your dad, you are the hardest working men in show business. Like, after you retire, um, you continue to not only educate corporations, but individuals. Um, you have a podcast. You have a new book. Just quickly tell people about what you're doing and then where they can find you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I told people, um, you know, I it said retired, but, you know, I still got kids in college. I'm not retired. <laughs> just retired sounds much better than left. So I think it sounds more, you know, it just sounds better. Anyway, yeah, my wife and I, we are working uh, closely with each other now. She is, uh, you know, she was a former facilitator with the Disney Institute. So she and I are working together. Um, we were traveling the world doing keynote speeches up until recently. Um, so we're, we're developing a lot of webinars now that we are uh, developing for companies. Um the podcast, as you mentioned, and we just, uh, I just finished writing my book, um, how's the culture in your kingdom. And uh, I took some, just my, my 26 years and 19 jobs of experience at Disney and thought about what story do I have to tell? And so it's a book. It's, there's lots of stories from my career, 
lots of my successes, lots of my failures. And I just wanted to share when the, the editor asked me, who are you writing this book to? I said, well, everyone. I want everyone to buy my book. They said, well, who, who, who will benefit? I said, well, you know what? It's going to benefit executives, but I think it's really going to benefit maybe a 30-something leader in a company who is trying to figure out how to think about leading their people and how to handle all the uh, stresses and all the priorities in their life. How do you take care of your family? How do you take care of yourself? How are you successful in your job and bring all those three things together? And so that was the premise of my book. And like I said, there's lots of insights. There's lots of very specific tactics on not only here's a philosophy, but here's a list of five things you can start doing tomorrow if you want to be a better communicator or six things you can start doing tomorrow if you want to be better at collaborating and partnering with people. So a lot of very specific things. And um, that's available. I just started my pre-order website. It's available on culture-kingdom.com, or you can just go to dancockrell.com and you can link back to that. And it hits bookstores August 11th. Um, And so we are out here, like I said, we're both teaching everything we've learned, working for just an incredible company and raising three kids and trying to share our learnings with others to help them maybe learn faster than we did. I love it. And uh, people should definitely go and check out your podcast as well. You have a, uh, you've you've been podcasting for how long now? Yeah, we're up to, um, I think we're in the 90s now. We're maybe up to the 90th, 91st episode. So we, we came out of the gate and uh, we've been able to do it every week since then. It's It's been a, you know, find the time to get them done has been interesting, but it's been incredible. It helps me think about what I have to say. It helps me do research. And uh, we just started a daily podcast on that same show, Come Rain or Shine, two weeks ago. And we're doing a, a just a special one every evening called Lemons to Lemonade. It's about five or six minutes long. And I just wanted to keep in touch with people and have them hear some some good jokes, funny stories, maybe something I'm learning along the way during this this uh, pandemic we're dealing with and just try to create a sense of community. I love it. Um, and people can find that, uh, obviously, in iTunes. I'll link to all these. Dan, look, I, I appreciate you on so many levels, personally and professionally, and just your your authenticity, your positivity, your focus on leadership and more importantly, people and, and like you and your dad, like I, the same Walt quote just sort of resonates in my head where he said you can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make a, that dream a reality. And that's something that I think is something that you not only uh, emphasize, uh, but you epitomize as well. So I sincerely well, I appreciate, appreciate you uh, for coming on again. Yeah, I appreciate that Lou. And I'll tell you when we spoke the other day and I, you know, it's funny um, you really, I noticed when I said you're fans and said, well, Dan, I, I don't like the fans word. We're a community. And I think we're on the same level. We're here to serve people. And uh, that's the way businesses should run. And that's the way we should respect people. So I think we just have the exact same leadership philosophy. So I appreciate that about you. Excellent. Thank you so much. for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, hear, maybe even taste, 
If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we were talking about our two-part series on the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom, and I asked you to tell me simply, what was the original name of the attraction that is now known as Dinosaur? So first things first, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew, of course, that the answer is Countdown to Extinction. Now, that original name really was in alignment with Disney's Animal Kingdom and really all of Walt Disney World's idea of sort of marrying this idea of education and entertainment all at the same time. But not long after the release of the animated motion picture Dinosaur by Disney in May of 2000, the Countdown to Extinction attraction underwent changes to more closely tie it into the film and leverage the obvious synergy between both the attraction and the movie. So not only did they change the name to Dinosaur, but the original logo on the exterior was replaced. Also, the Styracosaurus figure out front was replaced with the statue of Aladar from the film. So what does this also do but attract younger guests who have recently seen the film to want to go and ride something that they are now familiar with? So what they ended up doing as well was making the movement of the vehicles, the EMVs, the Enhanced Motion Vehicles, a little bit less intense. They uh, sort of scaled the soundtrack back. Some of the footsteps and the roars of the dinos were a little bit louder originally, which made it a little bit less frightening for younger guests as well. So anyway... I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, last week you were playing for all of my digital products, which is my 102 Ways to Save Money for that Walt Disney World book, my seven virtual audio walking tours of all the lands in the Magic Kingdom, which are sort of these binaural walking tours where you and I will walk together land by land and talk about some of the history, the stories, and the details to really help enhance your enjoyment and appreciation and now sort of connect you to the parks. All these, by the way, you can find in iTunes and on Amazon. I'm also going to send you a WW Radio vinyl sticker, a Magic Band cover, and a mystery prize from my collection, which, by the way, I'm currently purging on eBay at www.radio.com eBay. Ten new items each week. Go check them out. Anyway, I randomly selected one winner from all the correct entries, and last week's winner randomly selected is Lana Daddario. So, Lana Thank you. Use the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I'm once again feeling nostalgic, and I'm thinking about going back in time to really the beginnings of Walt Disney World, specifically Magic Kingdom. And your question this week is to tell me how many attractions were operating during the sort of the first couple of months or so in Adventureland in 1971. So to be clear, when Magic Kingdom opened in October 1971, in Adventureland, there were X number of attractions, whether they be rides, shows, etc., that were operational. I want you to tell me how many were there. Bonus credit, gold star, if you can tell me exactly what they were. This one's a little tricky, Hopefully fun, and maybe you might even learn something along the way. Anyway, this contest runs until Sunday, May 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the online form there, and we'll do it all again. I'm going to send you all the digital products, the books, the audio tour, the vinyl sticker, the Magic Band cover, and I'm going to pull something out from the archives and send you a mystery prize from my collection 
And if you're enjoying these trivia questions and want to play every single day, you actually can over on my Instagram stories where I'm sharing daily Disney trivia questions. It's easy. It's fun. Takes just a couple of seconds to play. It's multiple choice. It's a great way to not only test your knowledge, but hopefully learn a little something along the way. You can find them again on my Instagram stories and I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram. So please follow, tell your friends, good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I sincerely hope that the show has helped not only bring you a little bit of Disney magic, but a little bit of happiness, a little bit of positivity when maybe we need it all most. Please, please, please join the community and conversation to talk not just about this show, but anything going on in the, in the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars world or questions that you might have over at www.radio.com slash community. It's fun, it's family-friendly, drama-free, and really the best place and way to be part of our WW Radio community and family. Also, don't forget that in addition to the podcast, please join me every Wednesday night for WW Radio Live. I do a live video broadcast and chat over on Facebook, and we talk not just about what's going on in the Disney, Marvel, Star Wars worlds, but now you can come and play Top 5 Live, where I will share my top five list and you can be part of not only creating it but discussing it calling in as well again www.radiolive.com every wednesday 7 30 p.m eastern and speaking of community and family and thanks i want to thank all of the new and longtime members of our ww radio nation family i sincerely appreciate your friendship your help your love and your support as well as being able to give back to you each and every month I want to thank and welcome some of the new members of our WW Radio Nation family this month, including Eric Bocock, Scott M. Jatsky, Maggie Haggard, Steve LaRoque, and Matthew Gunn. I want you to know how much I sincerely appreciate how much you do to really help keep the show going. And if you want to find out not only how you can help the show, but also get exclusive rewards every month, including monthly scavenger hunts, private Facebook group, custom Magic Band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, backpacks, care packages from Walt Disney World as well as our live video group calls every month and more you can visit www.radio.com slash support remember this is of course completely optional but it's a great way for you to help show your support for WW Radio and remember that a portion of the proceeds of your contributions do go to our dream team project to directly benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America and remember we are friends we are family and even though we might not be able to be together in the parks right now you are never alone. I invite you to please come and connect and talk with me anywhere online. I am at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn. If you have a question you want me to answer on the air, you can email me directly, lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail. I'll be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. It could be about this week's show, a question, a comment, or just to say hello. And yes, even though we can't get together for our monthly meetups in Walt Disney World, for the last two months, I have been doing virtual meets of the month. Thanks to everybody who joined this past week for our April meet of the month. It was a lot of fun talking and getting to see and chat with you via our Zoom calls. Our next meet of the month will obviously be sometime in May. Check out the event page over at www.radio.com community. And please come and join us when we can all get together again. Don't forget, we have our Marvel Day at Sea Cruise in January of 2021. And I'll soon be sharing details about our Italy Adventures by Disney in March of 2021 and also taking names for an interest list. 
Again, you can always find out more by visiting our events page at www.radio.com slash events. And I really do believe that now as we are sort of forced to stay at home, this is actually a time of great opportunity. And whatever that idea, that dream, that passion project of yours is, I'd love to help you turn what you love into what you do. Whether I can work with you virtually, online, one-on-one, we have one spot left for our weekly six-person mastermind group every Tuesday. There are two spots left for my Momentum Weekend Retreat this June in Walt Disney World. And please don't forget about my Momentum Weekend Workshop, October 17th and 18th. It is a weekend-long, 50-person, one-track, one-room, interactive workshop built on the three pillars of inspiration, education, and community. And you are not only going to learn, but execute on what you learn right in the room. You're going to meet and work with others right away to help you take whatever that thing that you're doing to the next level and really make a positive difference right then and there. I have extended the super early bird pricing for another week. Again, you can find out more about any of these ways that I can possibly help you by visiting loumangelo.com. And I want to say thanks once again, as always, to not just my business partner, but my friend and the entire team over at mousefantravel.com. Look, I know that people can't travel right now, but when this is all over, I think we're going to need it more than ever. And I ask you to please go and visit our friends over at mousefantravel.com. When you're ready, they'll be there to give you not only a free, no obligation quote, but really help you get the best possible prices, all available discounts, answer all of your questions with an incredible level of personal service over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, and I hope that you do, please, it's so important, so helpful that you spread the word. And how can you do it? Tweet out that you're listening. Share a link to the show or this or your favorite episode on your Facebook. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. Thanks to you. We have more than 2,500 five-star reviews. Really need to keep them coming. It's super important. I want to thank some recent reviewers like OVJP from Canada who says, this is my go-to podcast. I listen to Lou's podcast every week and it brings a little bit of Disney magic into my life. Lady Dooley says, thank you for sharing the magic. I hope to meet the box people in person one day. Anthea Variano says, great podcast. Not only does Lou deliver an amazing podcast, but he's also created an amazing community for Disney lovers all around the world. WW Radio brings Disney magic into our home every day, and for that, I am so thankful. Keep up the great work, Lou. Dabner82 says, it's magical. I'm a longtime Disney fan. Just discovered the podcast. So good, in all caps. Really loved the one episode I've heard and excited to dive into more. Thanks for bringing the magic to Texas. Great show. B. Gregory says, I'm a DoorDash driver, and I love that Lou's episodes are longer and give me all kinds of Disney in my everyday life. As a DoorDash user, especially now, thank you, man, for being out there and all that you do to bring the magic in the form of food to me and my family every day. And Shay Zizzle, Shay's Jizzle says, amazing, Lou's a wealth of Disney knowledge, and he has a voice for radio and a face for radio, too. I added that part myself. I enjoy each and every podcast and look forward to many more. Shay Jizzle, B. Gregory, Dabner, Anthea, Lady Dooley, and Zero VJP. Thank you all so very much again. Just search for WW Radio on iTunes or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes for exact instructions and a link to how you can wear and where you can leave your review. Finally, most importantly, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I want you to understand how important and how grateful I am to you 
for being here. You are part of our community. You are part of my extended family, whether we have met yet or ever even communicated online or not. You are giving me the gift of your time and your attention and your love and your support and your friendship. And it means so much to me. And if there's some way that I can repay that gift to you, please, please reach out to me. Let me know. And I know that these are tough and difficult and, yes, scary times. And you are not only not alone in terms of being part of a community, but you are not alone in terms of what you are going through. Uh, everybody is, is bearing a burden in, in lots of different ways. But I also really do believe that this is another opportunity to choose the good, right? To look for and find the good in everything that you do, whether it means that you get to spend more time with your family or connect with an old friend via Zoom call or just picking up the phone or sending a message. Even if it's something as simple as you finally get to play that video game that you haven't played on PlayStation for months or sitting down with your family and playing a board game together. Maybe you're leveraging this time to start that project that you've had in the back of your mind. Again, if I can help you, let me know. Make the most of this. Make the best of this that you can. Look for and find the good in everything. Hashtag, right? Choose the good. Choose the good. I hope you enjoyed this week's show and everything that we're doing on the site and in the community and the blog and the live video. And I hope that it doesn't just make your day a little bit happier, but maybe even inspires you to be a little bit better. Thank you so much. I love and appreciate you. Stay safe, stay strong, stay positive. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. It's Mary from Massachusetts. Um, I just have to tell you, I, I'm a little bit behind on listening to podcasts, and I just listened to episode 574, um, which was this miraculously wonderful Star Wars episode. And I just have to give you a shout-out. I love it when you mention Spaceballs because I would say that's canon, you know. And then you end the show with Bill Murray, and is there a better way, you know? So I just wanted to say thank you because, boy, I love that. Thanks so much for everything you do. Um, these days, it's it's I'm missing the the parks and I'm missing Disney and I don't know about our plans for next year and we'll be able to go and all that. But anyway, it's wonderful to listen to you. Gives me hope. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye. Hey Lou, it's Christine Morrison from Flower Town, Pennsylvania. I'm out doing my walk, and I just finished listening to your Animal Kingdom show, uh, the second one, part two, and um, I am in love with that park. It's my favorite. I think it's a tie between Animal Kingdom and Epcot. Um, my favorite part is the conservation station, which... Probably a lot of people have never been to, but I am a veterinary technician and I do surgery all the time and going there and seeing the animal hospital and, and how they have a lot of the same equipment as we do, it really gets me excited and I hope maybe to um, get a back backstage uh, tour of there one day, but I love getting on that Rafiki Planet Watch train and going there and hanging out. There's, there's a lot of really fun things to do over there. If you've not been there, you should check it out. Anyway, I was working at the Disney store when Animal Kingdom was in the works and when it opened, and it was so, so exciting for us as, for us as Disney store cast members as well. Um, we were really excited to be a part of Disney when they were opening a new park. So those are my two fun memories of 
animal kingdom and just wanted to let you know I'm one of those people that uh, thinks it's my favorite park. I'm in quarantine still. It is, I don't even know, April 23rd. It's my nephew's birthday. Happy birthday, Brandon. And hanging in there, staying positive. The kids are adjusting to school online. And um, I'm getting in a nice walk before the rain comes. And anyway, everybody's yard looks amazing because everybody has time to take care of it, unfortunately. So everybody be safe. Keep that smile on your face. There's always something to be grateful for um, and excited about. And you just have to look for the silver lining. But someday we'll all get to some sort of normalcy again. But hang in there. Um, tune in to Lou if you're feeling down. He'll brighten your day. Love you guys. Make someone smile. Bye. Hey, Lou. Uh, my name is Josh. I am from Utah originally, um, but I'm going to be moving to Orlando shortly. Um have kind of a question or maybe a topic of conversation more so for you. Um, so my wife and I have kind of developed a love for Disney, mostly at Disneyland. Um, and we have always kind of been the be there at rope drop, stay until our feet hurt type of people. Um, we're anticipating getting annual passes um, when we move there next month. And we're super excited for it, but I feel a little bit like a fish out of water not knowing. I guess maybe it's a silly question, but what is that adjustment like to go from being at the park from open to close and just going, 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 trying to get every ride, every experience to like, I don't know, just enjoying it more casually? It's just such a foreign concept to me. Anyway, so um, I'm brand new to your show. I think I've listened to like 10 in the last week. Uh, I'm loving it. Love what you do. Uh, appreciate it. But uh, anyway, so there may be um, shows in the past that I haven't dug up yet that you could point me to. Um, or if you haven't talked about this kind of a topic in the past, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Good morning, Lou Mondello. It's Darlene Yegi, formerly of West Seneca, New York, and I'm calling in to say we really don't have any needs of the month or anything going on as of right now except for the cruise, the Marvel cruise in January. But soon we will have the needs of the month back in the parks or back on Disney property because we're going to think positive that this is all going to go away. And we do have our Wednesday night um, evenings with the Box family, so that is something to always look forward to. Thank you for all you do and posting all those pictures on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and sharing stories of years gone by with going to the parks. Thank you so much. Love, hugs, everyone. Stay home, stay healthy, until we get released. Love you all. 